Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, the Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, the Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, the Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's See what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca. Hi, good evening, Susan. How are you? Whoa, we're all getting ready for the big storm. Oh, yeah? Yep, they're telling us we're going to get three feet of snow. Oh, wow. 
That's a lot. I woke up <laughs> yesterday morning to the the Christmas card picture perfect little one inch of snow outlining every twig and every branch on the roof of the goat tower shimmering and glimmering in the early morning light. So beautiful. Yeah. But now the temperatures are falling. (laughs) They're falling. They're going to supposedly go down to single digits. Mm -hmm. And uh, then tomorrow the big storm is going to blow a bunch of snow our way. Will that keep you inside and the goats inside? They don't really go out in the snow? They don't really go out in the snow. They're very cat-like that way, you know. They don't like to get get their legs wet. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So, yes, yeah. that would give me more time to be inside, more time to finish revising the index of Abundantly Well, and more time to work on um, the book that Astrid Grove and I are doing together, Wise Woman, Herbal for the Childbearing Year continued. Yeah, that's why I thought she was there. That's cool. That's I. That's so exciting. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So mm-hmm. we're excited. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, not much about the plants has changed, but a lot about what it means um, when you choose certain things about your birth have changed. She said that it's standard procedure now. In the hospitals, when you go in to have a birth in a hospital, for them to put in an IV line. Mm-hmm. And they say, you know, we need to have this in so that we can, you know, make sure that if you need fluids, we can easily give you fluids. We just don't want to have to mess around with doing it later, so we're going to do it now. She says, but what happens is that they put drugs in that IV line, and they don't even tell the woman. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so they, are they use drugs to induce the labor. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times right after the birth, they will give Pitocin before the woman can even say no, just to stop any hemorrhaging. But, I mean, not every woman needs that. But I think exactly. it's a standard procedure. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It was, you know, a lot of the things that she was telling me were scary. And then we were looking at um, statistics about Amazingly enough, the increase in prescriptions of opioids and psychotropic drugs to pregnant women. Yeah, I've seen at a birth a woman just they're just carrying the fentanyl. Was it fentanyl? Oh no, it's some type of opiate in her pocket, and she just kept saying, you know, making sure she knew that she had it because the woman was in a lot of pain, you know, and. It's like, just stop pushing the drugs for a moment. Just let the woman, like, experience what she's experiencing, you know. They're so conditioned in that environment, though, to really push those those drugs on women. And one can understand that there perhaps would be an excuse if the woman was in extreme pain at a birth. But Mm -hmm. we're just talking about prescriptions that are written for women who are already pregnant. Um, and then, you know, wow. looking at uh, do we need to talk about uh, opioid withdrawal in newborns? Mm-hmm. Right? And withdrawal yeah. from, you know, Xanax and uh, all all the other psychotropics, the things that are given for anxiety now. Mm-hmm. 
So it, it it was also left me kind of going, yeah, you know, not even knowing what to say. That people are worried that herbs are dangerous during pregnancy. Right. Yeah. When these drugs that are truly dangerous to both the pregnant woman and her child are being prescribed at ever increasing rates. Mm-hmm. All the more reason to work toward restoring herbal medicine as people's medicine. I'm glad yeah. we have the drugs for when they're needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think what what we all agree on is let's not start there, please. Yeah, and that's just what people know. I mean, it's uh, and and although that's the only thing that they know, it's uh, I feel like never too late to learn another way. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Right. And then it doesn't even necessarily have to be that you that you say I'm not going to the hospital, um, but that mm-hmm. you um, make sure uh, that it is done. Um, I, on your terms, and that you really know where the where the pitfalls are mm-hmm. before you before you enter there. And of course, we ha- we uh, decided that we wanted to um, talk about nightmare pregnancies too. You're pregnant, and now you're diagnosed with cancer. You're pregnant, and you have um, HIV. You're diagnosed with HIV. You're pregnant, and um, suddenly you are diagnosed with herpes or you know, there's a lot of pregnancy nightmares that I didn't cover in Weiselman Herbal for the child during here. Mm-hmm. And there are yeah. there are good and efficacious herbs that can help. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily get rid of all of the the nightmares, uh, but pregnancy hypertension, preeclampsia. Um, there are certainly places that herbs can do a lot. And if mm-hmm. other things like drugs are needed, um, then the herbs support health while we're using those things. Wow. What a gift. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, we're very mm-hmm. excited. I, um, my I first writing assignment is to write about epigenetics. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. yeah I now, think it's of course, I've been, right I've been talking there. about epigenetics without using that term for decades. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I, it seems that there's a popular opinion that your genes don't give you any choice. But I think about astrologers, and they say what the stars tell, but they don't compel. And in fact, your genes are like that, too. You can have a gene for a disease, but that gene doesn't necessarily turn on because genes, like computers, are either off or on. Uh So the circuit in the computer can be off or on. The gene can be off or on. If a circuit is off in the computer, the computer still works. If that gene is off in your body, your body still works. Uh So the genes for Alzheimer's. You know, and for which, at this point, there's no real cure for Alzheimer's. Um, but it's very clear 
that because of epigenetics, because of the body's ability to decide whether to turn a gene on or off, healthy lifestyle choices keep the gene turned off. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, where I've been talking about it is I've been talking about what I saw as the reason behind the obesity of America, which is prenatal vitamins. Mm-hmm. And many people say, what are you talking about? I say, okay, your fetus and your mom is taking prenatal vitamins. So what does this mean? This means that instead of getting your nutrition from food and broken down food in your mother's bloodstream that comes with all of those different constituents and enzymes and all that stuff, you're getting your nutrients from a laboratory that are now in your mother's blood. That is going to influence the genes that control your metabolism. So that you will have a very hard time maintaining a normal weight because you will have in utero had through epigenetics the genes for conserve all the calories you possibly can turned on. In the same way that we know that the brain is plastic and responds to input, we are beginning more and more to see that the fetus is enormously responsive to its environment, and it does that through epigenetics, Hmm. which allows it to, in a way, change its genes before it's born. It's not just restricted to, you know, fetal tissue. Epigenetics exists and continues to work throughout our lives because we're always replacing cells. Mm-hmm. So we're always turning genes off and on. Mm-hmm. And there's the possibility of using these older plants, too, of unlocking, you know, like different expressions of those genes just through... Uh, like a cellular kind no, of memory not, not of something much older. A plant. Mm-hmm. It turns out that genes from most of the major dis- diseases, in other words, I know several men who come from family lines where every man in their family has dropped dead of a heart attack by them, their mid-50s. Both of these, one of these men is in his mid-80s and the other one in his mid-70s. What happened? They have the same genes that their brothers and cousins and nephews and fathers and grandfathers had. But through epigenesis, their genes for heart attack were not turned on because they ate a whole foods diet and moved. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with Alzheimer's. We see, you know, there's several studies now looking at siblings 
there's two genes we know of for Alzheimer's, and they look at siblings who have both genes, and if any of the siblings in a family group chooses a healthy diet and an active lifestyle, they don't get Alzheimer's. They don't express those genes. Mm-hmm. The genes simply are not turned on. Well, it's something that runs in my family, and so and so does cancer, and I don't plan on hopefully getting either one of them. I mean, like the Alzheimer's especially. Just uh, So we'll see what happens there, but yeah. yeah. Cancer um, is, is a little different mm-hmm. in that it's not necessarily um, as controllable by epigenetics because what cancer is is a distortion of the genetic material. Mm-hmm. Epigenetics is like a switch in a way. It turns it off and on. But cancer distorts it. Mm-hmm. So uh, certainly there's a lot that you can do. And the same thing, right? A healthy whole foods, mostly cooked diet and a active lifestyle. And, of course, and you know, I, we could easily add, don't smoke tobacco, don't drink alcohol, don't eat white sugar, all the don't, don't, don'ts. <laughs> mm-hmm. And do drink nourishing herbal infusions. Yeah, these are the, I these feel like are the during really, pregnancy is like a Really a simple things that, mm-hmm. that help us to be well. Right. Right. We have a guest tonight, and that guest is Dr. Nicole Appellian, and she is one hell of a woman. First of all, she spent years living with the sand bushmen of the Kalahari Desert, developing relationships with one of the last people who still live as hunting, hunter-gatherers. She has... um, Thrived in the wilderness with her knife and her wits, and an unexpected diagnosis of multiple sclerosis about 20 years ago led her to apply her scientific research skills toward her own personal wellness. At 9 o'clock, about an hour and 15 minutes from now, Dr. Nicole Abellian will be with us. Stay tuned or come back. She's going to be great. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say that for the the pregnancy book or the wise woman for the childbearing year book that you're doing. It's just a great gateway for, you know, like to really learn how to deeply care for yourself during that time. And uh, for your baby, I went so much deeper with my health at that time. And um, it really carried a long way through my, through my own health, but also through my children. So it's a, it's such a gift to give people that. Yes. I asked Astrid if she would write her, vision of what in a perfect world birth would look like in a perfect mm-hmm. world what would pregnancy look like mm-hmm. mm. so she's going to write yeah. some stories oh, for the yeah. book, which I'm really looking forward to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so much can so much change can happen right there so that's that's amazing yeah well, uh, we're yes, looking forward of course, to it. the birth is <laughs> And the mm. guest tonight, my when I was nannying for a family back before I had children, um, 
the woman that I nannied for, they moved up to outside of Seattle and they stayed at Nicole's place. And um, I don't know if she's still doing that, but you can, she was providing a place where you could come and stay and she would teach you outdoor skills and uh, through herbal remedies and all kinds of cool stuff. So um, I'm excited to hear her talk to you, of course. And yes, we have a, couple... a book out called mm-hmm. The Lost Book of Herbal Remedies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A Guide to Surviving Nature. <laughs> <laughs> if nature can survive us, no. <laughs> I was wondering if there, was, if there was a word missing or if it really is surviving nature. We'll find out. I'm looking forward we'll to out. talking to her. Do you have any questions All right. tonight? Yeah, and I want to just remind the callers to press 1 if you have a question for Susan. And our first caller is coming from the 787 area code. Hello, Susan. Hi. How are you, my love? I am doing so well. I'm out in the barn milking. I'm, I'm traipsing around with the goats out on Goat Watch. I'm really enjoying my time with my granddaughter and my daughter, and we're snuggling down for winter. Mm, yes, I hear you. Winter is upon us. How beautiful. And how I are am, you? I am actually so excited to speak with you. I want to thank you because, you know, you're my star. You're my North Star, you have helped me so much in my journey as a mistress of herbalism. Thanks to you, I I have such a passion for herbs that I didn't even know I had. And um, like right now, I have red clover looking at me. I've been drinking her today. And my mm, question, wonderful. Yeah, my question is kind of one that I might know the answer already to, and I'm hoping you could um you know, help me with this. So I, for some reason, was reading somewhere, maybe somewhere in online, the, you know, the online world, and it was something along the lines that tannins can cause uh, cancer. So a lot of people... It's think true. Asia, if you drink more than 30 cups of tea a day. Okay. So that's that's where I was going at because I know some people that's why they add milk to their tea, like if they drink green tea or black tea, and I I um so herbal infusions wouldn't apply to that, like as far as like like nettles having a lot of tannins. Tannins also have a lot of health promoting effects at low doses. One of the real difficulties that most of us face ever since alchemy changed our understanding is that we have a hard time understanding that the whole can be greater than any of its individual parts. So what you're doing in a way is reducing nettle to tannin. Mm, And saying now nettle is not safe because it has this one constituent. Mm -hmm. And that's like rather saying that someone 
is evil because they have a freckle. <laughs> okay. Right? I love your metaphor. I, I appreciate you for how you speak in ways that completely are so mercurial and <laughs> direct and to the point of understanding you. You really help me understand that. And I thank <coughs> you for The nettle has hundreds of constituents. Mm-hmm. And the tannins can actually help the other constituents be absorbed into the body. Excellent, excellent. I and I certainly that. haven't seen any study that says that green tea is anything other than anti-cancer. And I certainly um, rarely see anyone putting milk in green tea. Nor have I seen any study of green tea with milk that would indicate it's better. All of the research that's done, so far as I know, is done on green tea. Certainly when I was in Japan, when I was serving green tea or matcha, um, there was nothing offered to put in it. Okay. Yeah, this is this is exactly why I was like, let me call you and, and get my head out of the clouds. <laughs> yeah, out of the internet. Not that I would stop. <laughs> yeah, not that I would stop drinking my nourishing herbals because I because I know that a lot of the times you mention like you know Google and whatever, they're the worst uh, sources of data to kind of trust <laughs> when it comes to herbs and stuff. So I come to the source, which is you. <laughs> <laughs> and are we lucky so, to live in a time where there are a great yep. many herbal books available written by people who are actually using herbs and describing their experiences? I'm so grateful for all those amazing <laughs> authors and herbalists that you know are writing that information down for us as well. I am so excited for your guests and that you are working on this um natural birth, not that any birth is not natural, like even in a hospital you could still have like a natural birth, just saying more uh, humane or more back to the way it used to be. Um, like uh, Rebecca, um, once I became a mom, that's when I started looking at my health and taking um, matters to my own hand, like cooking everything from scratch. I started mm-hmm. with water, cooking at water, like you know, trying to uh, filter water with, like, you know, different um, filters that would at least take out the fluoride and chlorine and stuff like that. Like, and um, I actually watched the Business of Being Born uh, documentary by Ricky Lake, and that's what made me say, oh, my God, I could have a birth at home? And so... I had both of my births at home, and those were the most amazing. Like, I wish every woman could have a beautiful birth knowing that they, they, they could do it because it's so possible, you know. And I'm grateful that there are hospitals that help women who do have an emergency, right, like a real emergency to help them have a C-section when it's absolutely necessary and the fact that you said they are putting an IV and and already putting drugs and opium, that's pretty scary that, you know, babies Not necessarily using opioids. What I was saying was that opioid prescriptions while the woman is pregnant are up. Oh, oh okay, okay, I misunderstood that. So 
yeah, and, and then they're afraid, like, oh, can I drink a nourishing herbal infusion? And he's like, okay, like, can you eat broccoli, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, many pregnant women would say, no, I can't eat broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> As nice, you know, spinach. <laughs> you know, that's what happens with my mom, too. She she has these pres- prescriptions, and she's like, no, I can't eat too much greens. And I'm like, okay, but you can eat all the fried food in the world and all the soda, but but this nourishing infusion is, is going to. She's like, I can't have too much vitamin K. And I'm just like, all right, whatever, whatever. You You have your system. I'm not gonna mess with that. Mm-hmm. But I, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I thank you for all the work you do. You are such a blessing in this world, and I'm always, always, always gonna be grateful to you. I love you. I receive it all open-heartedly. Dream blessings. Dream blessings. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Good night, Rebecca. Good night. Okay, the next caller is coming from the 352 area code. Hi, Susan. This is Carol. How are you today? Enjoying the beautiful sunlight. How are you? I'm well. I'm doing good. All these women say the same thing I want to see, so I feel sometimes redundant. But, yes. I have a pause question. So, I went. I I um had my last period at 45, and I maintained a weight of like 135, 140. And in the last five years, I am 162. It feels comfortable. It came on slowly, and I swim, and but I feel. Like I see women at this age, what do you think of that extra weight? May I, and let me add one more thing. In the last three years, I started eating meat, and every time I eat a big fat ribeye, it's instant. Uh, what is it instant just, when you eat the ribeye? It's instant wonderfulness. Like, the meat is just so great. I hear you. <laughs> Instant satisfaction. Got it. <laughs> so how tall are you? Five, five, six, five, five and a half. And I've had 11 children, and I've always been trim. I mean, my children, I got to 200 or 175. You know, I've gained and lost and gained and lost. And then it's it doesn't feel like a lot of extra weight, but when I look at myself in the mirror, I'm like, oh man, look at that middle. But then I've heard you talk about that on other programs, and I just right. want to talk about it. Right, you can look at the Venus of and she's got the same yeah. middle. So let me tell you that I am very much of two minds about this. First of all. I think that we can see from virtually all of the ancient images of older women and postmenopausal women that 
there is a thickening of the waist, that the breasts get bigger and more pendulous, the, the buttocks get bigger and sometimes more pendulous, and truth to say, the and very old men, the, the testicles also do get more pendulous as well, as everything responds more and more to gravity. And I don't think that in an environment where there are no chemicals, that that's a problem. In fact, I think it's a protection. Okay. But we do live in an environment with estrogenic chemicals. And those estrogenic chemicals are aided and abetted by every fat cell in a woman's body. Okay. So environmental cancers, breast cancer, endometrial cancer, uterine cancer, are on the rise along with prostate cancer. With what? Along with prostate cancer. And these are generally now recognized, even by the medical profession, as environmental cancers. They say they see too many people who live very healthy, exemplary lives who are being diagnosed with environmental cancers, cancers from the chemicals in the environment that can promote the growth of estrogen-fed cancers. Without these things in the environment, a little extra weight for an older woman, as I said, was probably a safeguard, probably helped her. Good point about those images. I hadn't thought about, but it. But my son, my children, not that you know. But they're like, I'm like, man, I I swim, you know, three or four times, swim several miles a week, and and I started eating meat, and the sun weight came on. I I don't care because it's so delicious and it works so quickly. But I was like, you know, it's a point of conversation. See what's in it. Susan has to say, you know, I mean, I think that it's so, but still, what I usually say is I don't think it's the meat per se unless you're letting the meat push the vegetables off your plate. No, no, not at all. And I'm not saying that it's the meat. In the sense of saying that it's the meat, I'm saying it in the sense of brilliance because (laughs) maybe that meat Put that on me because I need some meat. I'm just saying, you know, I've been having babies. Okay, you baby, you baby. got the meat. I got it. I understand. Sorry, I'm slow sometimes. Yes, yeah, so, and and I was, I was vegetarian a couple of years, meatier. which didn't serve me. Pardon? <laughs> you got meatier. Right. <laughs> yeah, somebody said to me, oh, you know, meat must be the hardest thing to digest. I said, no, it's the easiest thing to digest because you're already it. Uh, you know... Amen to that. If you love animals, you eat them. That's been my mantra here. I've been freaking all my vegan daughter's friends out with that. Right. Because I, you know, but if you I, love animals, though, eat them and eat ones that are raised in caring, good environments. And because there are more, have, more people of good conscience eating meat, there are more and more animals being raised in loving and wonderful environments. And I often say to vegans, you know, it's an individual choice, but, but you never really change the life of a single animal. But people who eat meat are changing uh, the lives of animals. That's a great thought. 
That's good. So how many times a week is, is um, or, you know, a month, like when you're eating meat and you're not raising them? You know, like. You know, uh, you have to decide for yourself what I have found. All right, Dad, three times a week I, it is. <laughs> I surgery that I've had to rebuild a lot of body tissue. My desire for meat has gone way up. Right. I would say that, you know, before I had so much need of it, I would eat fish three to five times a week and meat, we would say once every two to three weeks, but I want to say that if we ate like uh, chicken, we might have chicken for dinner three nights in a row. That's right. That's exactly right. I mean, you're exactly right because like this ribeye, I'll eat half of it. I'll chop the other up, eat it with something else tomorrow morning, and then I'll boil, you know, boil the rest of it and put some rice in with it, some grains. I've had it for three days, but it's still the same piece of meat. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I just, I'm loving this. I love meat. Ah, oh. I deprived myself for a while there, but just because I was trying to figure it all out. But I never can really give up the meat because if you love animals, you eat them. And you milk them and you collect their eggs and you take care of them. And... Yes, and the so goats are being very boring today. I so kept, trying to get very them to, kept trying to get them to go for a walk in the woods and they kept saying, oh, no, we're frightened of the wind. We would get a few, you know, a few, Perhaps talking about a few hundred meters out into yeah. the woods and then the wind would go whoosh and a branch would fly down and the goats would go oh my gosh oh my gosh the sky is falling and they would run the sky is falling. falling I was just going to say that the sky is falling we're going back in <laughs> <laughs> but, but maybe they sense your big snowstorm coming Susan the sky is going to fall <laughs> the sky is going to fall it's true <laughs> yeah, they're not wrong <laughs> That was fun. Thank you for talking with me. You are welcome. I, I have five hundred dollars saved here, and I've off my change, and you know, and this unemployment thing, and I've had to pull a couple hundred dollars out. And uh, but I'm I'm gonna buy a couple of your um, things because I've been doing all your free stuff. I've kind of worn it out. I gotta throw some money your way, which I'm which I'm gonna do. Well, Just that's wonderful because. The sale that we are having at thewisewomenschool.com has been extended for so I saw five, for five more days. Five more days. So you well, are, then, and they're like four yeah, they're right at the right place right? at the right time. Do the right thing. Well, I always try to go for the big one. I always want to get the you know the billion dollar one, and I say, but hey, you know, times have changed. I'm going to have to buy a couple of your fifty dollar courses. Oh, well, I think I'm still going to try to lose 10 pounds. Meeting. I want to get to 150, maybe 150 pounds, and I'll, and I'll eat more duck instead of beef. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, Susan. And has your daughter improved from the game? Good night. Good blessings. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 202 area code. Susan, this is Molly. Thank you for taking my call tonight. Um, I had, I wanted to 
tell you a little story and a thank you, and then I had a question to ask your opinion on. Um, so starting off with the thank you, I've been following you for the last couple of years. I've been to a workshop. Um, I love all of the just all the material, and it's really it's just been amazing, and I love continuing on this journey and learning about the plants and tinkering around with them, you know, tinctures and oils. But so I just want to let you know that over the last, I think, well over a year, um, I've been having dreams about you. And so it usually happens about like once, a, at least once a month. And there are these very vivid and I don't know, it's almost, it's like a comfortable, vivid dream of kind of pulling me back and reminding me, you know, to kind of get outside of my head and, you know, take a look around the world. So I want to thank you for that. You're welcome. So, um, so I thought that was pretty neat. And then the other question I had was, I was wondering what your opinion was on the COVID-19 vaccine. Whenever we are going to engage in any behavior, we are always going to make a risk-reward assessment. Mm-hmm. And what is risky for one person is not necessarily risky for another person. Mm-hmm. I live way out in the country. Not mm-hmm. at the edge of civilization at all. And in fact, only 100 miles from New York City. But nonetheless, I live in a place where there are few cases of COVID. And I'm pretty much at home. I don't expose myself. Mm -hmm. So the risk of any vaccine would be greater for me and the reward less than a person who's working to provide health support for others, than a person who's working in a place where People are, by virtue of the place, closely packed. Mm-hmm. Right? Places mm-hmm. where people are being taken care of, places where people are imprisoned. All right? The people in those places and the workers in those places, their risks are very, very high without a vaccine, and their risks go down, so the reward is greater when they use a vaccine. Is there still a risk for them from using any vaccine? There's always a small risk. Mm-hmm. Right. But the very real sense. risk in those situations of contracting COVID and having a lifetime, we now know that COVID is not just something you get over. Mm-hmm. That there are a right. great many people who will have permanent effects. Okay. Mm-hmm. For those people who are in high risk situations by virtue of a cluster of figure of facts or a few facts, um, the reward is probably greater than the risk. Mm-hmm. But to, 
again, that's an in generally an individual thing. Right. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And that's, you know, I was, I guess, I'm, I don't think, and I'm staying at yes. home. I'm Somebody said to me, like, did you know that that vaccine is non-human DNA and it will live in your body forever? And I said, that's exactly what a vaccine is supposed to be. <laughs> First of all, I do not want human DNA in me. Thank you very much. I would like that viral. If it's a vaccine, it should be the DNA of something that is foreign to me. Right, right. That's, That's what funny. a vaccine is. It's introducing me to something foreign, okay? So right there, it's not a problem, right? And secondly, um, I want it to stay around for a long time. Right. Right. That's the goal of the immunization is that you get immunized <laughs> against measles and then you don't get measles. Mm-hmm. And not just yeah, for a short amount of time, but for a long time. And it, someone else said to me, but it's genetically modified. I said, you know, I feel safer with a genetically modified vaccine than I would with one that was using some live actual coronavirus, wouldn't you? Right, absolutely. <laughs> yes, that makes sense. So, so far, the objections that people have had, which have seemed on the surface to be reasonable objections, seem to me to be actually in favor of the vaccine. Right. Mm-hmm. It's non-human, genetically um, created, you know, genetically modified uh, DNA that's going to live in my body and prevent me from getting COVID. Mm-hmm. That's that sounds right. Right. <laughs> well, that makes sense. It's just yeah, it's been. I'm really excited they have it, and I'm, you know, pro vaccine. I just the speed of it. There's just always those concerns in the back of your head. You know, we only we only know as much as they've as they've been able to study in the last you know few months, but. I definitely understand the risk versus reward. And I've sort of been thinking in my head that, you know, I, I want, you know, I want to get it. I think it's the right thing to do. I'm staying at home. I'm low risk. I figured I would just sort of wait towards the end. But then I thought maybe that's a little selfish to let everyone else be almost guinea pigs. But, <laughs> you know, I was like, well, that's pretty mean of me. I'll just wait and see how everyone else does. <laughs> but, you know, so. Well, I don't think at this point that there are um, an, enough to cover everybody. So that's right. Yeah. I think, you know, they really <laughs> are prioritizing um, right. who's going to get it. And despite you know, despite you know, uh, rumors that again are always going to be there, um, I haven't heard um, that the reward is going to be sweetened by anybody giving you any particular reward for doing it. Um, mm-hmm. Or that the that the uh, risk is going to be increased by any punitive measures if you don't do it. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not saying those things couldn't happen, but I'm saying at this point I don't know of any of that are happening. Mm-hmm. And okay. you know, life itself certainly is a risky proposition. Right. Mm-hmm. So. I'm excited too. 
I'm glad you're excited. Thanks for sharing your excitement with us. Okay. Well, thank you so much for taking my call. You're welcome. Please bless you. Good night. All right. Have a good night. Bye. The next caller is coming from the 973 area code. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. I'm a really big fan, and I love your show every week and have your books. And I've been to a moon lodge a few years ago, and I'm really grateful that you do this every week. So thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, so I... I've been hearing you talk about, um, you know, full-fat, plain yogurt and how beneficial that can be for the gut and digestion and just, you know, health overall. And I have gotten some and have been experimenting with trying to have it because I don't tend to have that much dairy in my diet besides some raw cheese. And it's been making me feel very nauseous after I eat it Um, and I've been trying to figure out why but it really it just doesn't sit well in my stomach it makes me pretty queasy and kind of stays there like for hours and hours I just feel it like very wet and cold kind of feeling for longer than I think is you know normal (laughs) because other people in my family have it and you know go on with their day so so how um, long is it normal for food to be in the stomach? I think at least a few hours, but I guess four, four to six hours. Four to six hours, yeah. The yeah, stomach has I, no nerve endings. So you can't actually experience something being cold in your stomach. Nor can you feel any real sensation in your stomach. You can get um, pain in your esophagus. Yeah. You get a pain in your gallbladder or your liver or your intestines. But maybe you mean your intestines and not your stomach. Yeah, I'm not quite so sure. I just it doesn't So which is your do you know which your intestines are and which your stomach is? I know that your intestines are more by your ovaries. Your intestines right? are basically below your belly button. Right. And your stomach is pretty much above it. So many people say that they have stomach problems, but what they really mean is they have gut problems. Right. Because, in fact, you can't feel any food that's in your stomach. It's interesting. Now, so... if you go back and you listen to the recording of this blog talk show, you might be amazed to hear the emotionality in your voice when you're talking about milk and dairy products. And, of course, one of the facts of life for all mammals is that we are born dependent on our mother's milk. No mammal would be alive who did not thrive on milk. It is a prerequisite for mammals. One way to reject your mother is to reject milk. One way to say that your mother is cold and slimy is to say that milk feels cold and slimy in your body. Hmm. 
one way to say that I want more space from my mother is to say it stays in my body too long. Right. I totally understand that. I mean, I don't have a problem with cheese, and I eat cheese quite a bit, but for me, just yogurt isn't working, and I will definitely think more about the intestines versus the stomach that you brought up. Exactly. All right. And in general, it's very difficult for people to make a cause and effect relationship between something they eat and something that's going on in their intestines because it can actually take two or even three days for the intestines to have a reaction to food. Food just does not like go into your body and out of your body instantaneously. Hmm. In the same way that most people will blame the very last food they ate if they get food poisoning, but it is rarely hmm. the very last food they ate. So what do you suggest how, what course of action do you suggest I take if I want to? So if uh, you want to eat yogurt, we're talking about Danon, whole milk, plain yogurt, use a teaspoonful as a condiment with something. Mix it into some cooked greens. Put it on some fruit. If you like it on fruit, blend it up with frozen fruit and a little maple syrup. Yeah. I mean, the reason why I did bring up the cold feeling before is because when I have, uh, when I try and eat cereal with milk and uh, or any sort of, you know, muesli or granola or something with milk or make a smoothie with any dairy products, I get the same feeling. So that's why I was kind of, highlighting that but I'm not sure what that means that you feel cold just uh it's like a queasiness and it feels like a dampness I can't really explain it it's mm-hmm. um that's just all those are the words that come to my mind yeah it's just a mm-hmm. uh, like like spoiled milk like if you had something a little off you know like if you had a little milk that was a little off maybe the feeling you'd get or something like that well, I'm a cheesemaker. There's no such thing as milk that's off. Mm. Milk that's off becomes cheese. The milk you like best is milk that's off. Mm-hmm. That's what cheese is. Cheese is spoiled milk. And, in fact, yogurt isn't really milk at all, you know? If you take milk and you put yogurt-forming bacteria into that milk, then those bacteria eat the milk and excrete yogurt. So really, yogurt is bacteria poo. (laughs) In fact, it's more vegan than organic food, which is grown with animal poo. Mm. Well, a lot to think about. Yeah, and uh, the you know I see people all the time who, for one reason or another, have decided to go dairy free, and the ones who seem to get by without injuring their health too much are the ones who don't use anything to replace it. The ones who have health problems are the ones who use fake milk. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely it's, don't do that. Yeah. It's fake cheese and fake yogurt. Yeah. That's, yeah. Not a fan and of that. just a study, silly study, but interesting. This is just a study that women who eat breakfast cereal don't live as long as women who eat a hot breakfast. Mm. They theorize that it might be a marker for how well you take care of yourself. That if all you can manage in the morning is to pour some some milk or, or fake milk over some pre-processed cereal, right? And and Justina's also saying carbohydrates, right? Whereas if you're going to cook your breakfast, it's probably going to be eggs or an omelet or, you know, she's bacon, bacon, she's saying. <laughs> <laughs> what do you eat for breakfast, Susan? Um, I often eat little fish for breakfast. Mm, I right, smash, samarol, like mackerel, mm. anchovies, sardines, herring. Mm-hmm. Right. On, um, on I complained bitterly today that my favorite herring at the store was only in an extra large jar, and my wonderful, loving daughter Justine said, "I'll eat it with you." So we got the large jar, so we'll eat herring together. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I did a sardine survey, and I found that most people eat sardines by themselves. And those who eat sardines with someone else generally eat them with their cat. <laughs> That's like me. I'm the only one in my family, me and my dog. There you go. You and your dog, right? <laughs> Every yep. once in a while, I said, oh, my sweetheart loves sardines. We eat them together. I'm like, aren't you lucky? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for the help. Uh, you're welcome. Have a good night. Green blessings. Good night. So since the vaccine question came up, I was, I'm was i curious um, about something about the nanotechnology that I've heard people talk about um, being present in the vaccine and that being different than other vaccines that have been, it's like a new technology that they're using. And I'm curious if you... Um, have looked into that at all. What do you mean by nanotechnology? See, I'm trying to understand that, I mean, like the nanoparticles, I guess, are just the, they carry, so I'm not really sure. Are that you saying that the vaccine is in nanoparticles, or are you saying that nanotechnology was used to create it? It's a very different thing. That the vaccine is in nanoparticles and that they, it's somehow it's delivering into, I mean, I, this is kind of beyond my perception. I mean, like, but I've heard that it can be very dangerous and like that it goes into your, can alter your DNA, RNA um, in a way that other vaccines haven't. And this is, is based on which of the, um, I think it's 27,000 people who've already taken it. And which of those have had this happen? Um, well, they're the Pfizer, or, uh, uh, Pfizer vaccines and the the Moderna uh-huh. ones. Yeah, and I know that Pfizer was tested at about 27,000 people at least. Mm-hmm. And I'm asking you which of those people had this happen? Have, you mean like had the nanotechnology in, no, injected what, you, in them? No, you're telling me that it makes p- 
permanent disastrous changes to your DNA. And I'm asking you, what that's based on, Rebecca? Um, just stuff that I've been reading. I'm I'm just curious about the vaccine and seeing like what. Like I mean, since we don't really real know, like paranoid the BS, me, Rebecca. I'm just I'm saying we don't know the long-term you in real life to point me out to someone who's taken the vaccine that has had this happen. Well, I'm just curious if you know anything about you can't, the nanotechnology. Because it hasn't happened. I know, but do you know anything about An it? An alien might grow out of the top of your head right now. Well, what? I'm just thinking that there might be Life some sense that's never been used before that we don't really know the long-term implications of it. it so it's hard to say that anybody's wild it's hard to, to pass say on paranoid fantasies. And I, it's not paranoid. I, it's freaking realistic to, like, what, question what's going into my body. Excuse me, Excuse it is me. not realistic to make up stories, yes, Rebecca. I'm not making up stories. This is actual real Are stuff that's going to into have the vaccine, people's body. Are you choosing what? to have the vaccine? Why is that? Is it what available does that matter? to you right now, Rebecca? Um, I mean, they're doing trials. Uh, in in Medford here, that's all that I know that they're doing in Oregon. I mean, I'm sure that I know that the people at the FedEx office were saying that they're doing trials. Is that what what you said? They're doing trials? Mm Mm-hmm. If if you want to sign up for it, you can. Yeah, you can. Are you going to? At this, no. Well, then I don't see what, what the rest of this has to do with you at all. Well, I'm just You're curious of what you know about the nanotechnology to like, worry about stuff and that has how you can no save it and you, you don't know right anything now. about it. Stop it. Stop it. Um, I think that that's uh, just, I just think that people should be cautious, that's all. Okay. No. That's what I think. No. <laughs> you don't know that. You should be cautious. You can say that. You think you should be cautious? Good. You don't know what cautious is for other people. Mm-hmm. You don't live in their shoes. You don't live in their lives. You don't live in their homes. You don't tell them what to right. do. You want to be cautious? You be cautious for that. Mm-hmm. That's fine. No one is going to make you do anything you don't want to do. So you don't know anything about the nanotechnology. That's my question. I'm not asking you to get, tell me what to do. I'm asking you if you know anything about the nanotechnology. That's what I'm asking. And I said that's not a question. Why isn't that a question? Because nanotechnology and nanoparticles are different things. Did you hear me when I said that before? So why can't you just answer? Nanotechnology like, is a technology in which the tools are at nano size. Mm-hmm. The tools. If it's made with nanotechnology, then those tools are that size. And that's all it from means. From my understanding that the bio-nanotechnology is the particles are nano size, that is a different thing. And that is not nanotechnology. Hmm. Well, it sounds like there is it's like nano-sized particles. Nano and why would com- we go to the expense 
to make things nano-sized. It would be to make it more effective. Mm-hmm. And as I said earlier, a vaccine is supposed to live in your body forever. Epigenetics means that genes do turn off and on and that everything in your life is turning genes off and on all the time. Do you get that? Mm-hmm. So I do not see why you're freaking out that something might turn a gene off or on. Mm, I don't know. I'm I'm still I'm still uh, researching this. I, I understand. But I was, That's I'm fine. Curious. But I'm truly like, saying, I'm curious, it's, like you know, just because we don't know on the surface of it, anything to worry about. It's hard to say. It's hard to say what's going on with it. So it's hard to say. And what we can say is that everyone so far involved has been of good heart and good faith. It is not trying to do you any dirt, Rebecca. Okay. Well, I mean, the ones that I know that human beings have developed this vaccine, and they are not doing it for their personal gain, you know? The one person that I know that did take the vaccine and did the trials got very, very I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of people who've been working very, very hard to create something out of their good intentions. Mm. In your opinion. (laughs) Okay. In their opinion, which is what counts. Well, I think it's. Um, you actually I don't know. are telling me that you think that there are people out there who are working at their jobs to develop a vaccine that is just about to shut the world down, and they have bad intentions. That is paranoia. That is the definition of paranoia: is not understanding and believing that the vast majority of human beings have very, very good intentions. I was listening to a Buddhist monk, and he said, "When you're sitting there talking said, you about you drugs that are being given to pregnant women, and you're telling me that the vaccine makers aren't those same drug makers, all people are inherently good." Excuse me. No way. I don't believe it. I don't buy it. Okay. Well, then you have to live that. But the truth of the matter is, okay. most people are good. Okay. Drug makers. I have a little bit of, you know, controversy with my soul about them. People alive, Rebecca. My grandfather was cut to pieces, losing a toe here, a toe there, a leg here, a leg there, because there was no insulin. Drug makers created insulin. There was no smallpox in the world because the smallpox vaccine was created. Would you get a grip on what you're living here and stop pretending that modern medicine is bad and evil and out to do you harm? It's not what I'm saying. That's Jeez. what you're saying, but it's okay. I am it's saying okay. that smallpox has been eradicated, and hooray. And that's a vaccine. Hmm. And I'm saying I grew up with kids who got polio. Very strange. There's no polio very anymore. Very strange power that's dynamics going on in our world right I'm now. I'm old enough to have actually seen before and after with mm-hmm. vaccines, and you're simply not. Okay. You only see what we've created by offering vaccines. And you don't know what it was like before.
I think it's uh, something worth bringing up because I know a lot of the listeners are probably feeling a similar way that I am. So just wanted to voice my my concern. There are two nervous systems, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. And the sympathetic is uptight and paranoid and thinks people are bad and bad things are going to happen. And Well, that's not me, so and, but thank yes, you. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Listen to yourself. No, it's that's not. A, that's where you have been coming from for the past <laughs> because five I'm minutes. Because I'm questioning. That is exactly I question where you're everything, coming from for the past five minutes. And that does not mean I'm uptight and paranoid. Thank you very much. Questioning <laughs> does not say that people are evil. I didn't say that. You did. Excuse me. I did not. Like, stop I said putting the words into my you mouth. I don't because believe it. you are trying to put me in a box with a bunch of freaking like conspiracy theorists, like crazy people. I'm not attached to either side. I walk a middle I road, and I'm thinking on both ways. Okay. I I'm not trying to get attached to either way Rebecca? here. Did I say I'm, you know, any I can of those have my things. own opinion. Rebecca, did okay? I say you were crazy? No, but it sounds like you're trying Rebecca, to like label me I as something say, that I don't consider did, myself. Did I say that you were part of a conspiracy theorist? Did I say that? Well, it sounds like that's what you're trying to did say. Did I say that, Rebecca? I don't know what I mean. Whatever I mean, no. I did I not. I, say that. I said you're paranoid. It does sound like and that I'm paranoid. Look at, the, look at what you're throwing at me right now, paranoia. Mm-hmm. You're telling me I said things that I didn't say. I'm saying that I have to say that people okay? are good, and, and that's you're not going to go away. What? Because you're, you're saying that, that, that the thousands and thousands, the hundreds of thousands of people who've been working to create these vaccines are evil? No, I am telling you that's not true. I think that maybe they've bought into a system too. You know, it's okay but though. You know, we're living in very anything. interesting times of like a lot of control and manipulation going That's on. That's paranoia, in our world, so. Rebecca. No, it's At every not. turn, all you offer is paranoia. Okay. What thank about you. hope and faith and compassion and care for each other? Well, I don't see it as paranoia. I do see it as compassion, and I do see it as, you know, like seeing it as like something that I feel like to me passionately about. about. Paranoid, and none of it has been compassionate. And caring for you know, other people. And Not their, one like, word safety. has like, had anything you know, to do with anybody but, but you. Hmm, okay. Whereas I have been talking about the other people. Mm-hmm. And when you have talked about other people, they have been out to get you, and they have been bad. And when I have talked about other people, they have been working together for common good. You can choose whatever universe you want to live in. But no, you're not being realistic. And I don't think you are, so I guess we have a differing of opinion there. So of what realism is. That's right. Of not because knowing exactly what you're talking about. I prefer to live in about. optimism, and you prefer to okay. live in pessimism. And if neither one is real, who's having a better time? All right. Well, I guess we'll go on to the next caller. 
I have nothing else to say. Coming from the 206 area code. I have bunnies and oh, <laughs> I gotta follow that. Hello, is this the next caller? I uh, yeah. Okay, what's up with you tonight? Hey, sorry, uh, I feel a lot of pressure to follow that up. But, I understand, um, but all you have to do is just tell us about what's going on with you, and you don't have to follow up anything. It's not a variety show. It's not a talent show. It's just you and me. All right, cool. So. I have been experiencing a thing called guttate psoriasis. Are you familiar with that? I've heard about psoriasis. What was the the modifier? It's called guttate, G-U-T-T-A-T-E. And how is and, that different? Uh, so it, it manifests in, you know, the typical plaques of psoriasis, that, you yep. know, dry, scaly, red, pink area thing. Um, mm-hmm. So these are smaller plaques they're circular in shape and they spread all across my body basically from head to toe and it's I've had this I had this two years ago and I was after having constipation issues for like two and a half years and then uh, I had they found strep strep bacteria in a cyst in my lower back and then um, soon after finding that I started progressively getting these all across my body until it reached a state of erythrodermic they diagnosed it as, which is dangerous for infections and whatnot. It is. Um, and I, what was that? It is. Yeah, yeah. And then I ended up trying all these natural remedies and everything, and it just seemed to keep getting worse, and I was trying to find out if it was something within food or stress or whatever. I ended up going on a really severe immunosuppressant called cyclosporin, and whether it was that or something else, it began to recede over three months or so. And then fast forward to this past year in, I believe it was October, um, I think I had strep throat. And then soon after that, uh, the same exact thing started to happen. And now I've got this psoriasis from my feet all the way up to my neck. Um, scalp, luckily, it's not on my face currently, but... Um, I've been trying a bunch of natural remedies, trying to see what my body's trying to signal to me through this and checked out different literature and stuff and um, eventually resorted to a what they deemed a more modern approach to psoriasis um, with a medication called Skyrizi, which is what you, you inject it every like once a month or so into your body, and it's supposed to be a more direct immunosuppressant. Um, and I'm not happy to do that, so I'm looking... Or, um, to gain more knowledge as to what might be causing this and how I can fix it, and I'm I want to do it naturally so that I can actually hear what my body's trying to tell me. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Okay, so here's what I think you have told me. A couple of years ago, you had a cyst that had some staphylococcus and that kind of segued into an episode of um, psoriasis guttate psoriasis which became erythematic which means just really raw awful skin very very prone to infection and you rightly took cyclosporine at that point, which seemed to reverse it and 
put it into, if not remission, garnerhood. Recently, and I don't know how recently, you had a strep throat. And that then segued into the gutate psoriasis. And the, the most modern approach is a monthly injection to calm down your immune system. Because what modern science thinks is that psoriasis is an autoimmune disease. That's all correct. And modern science thinks that autoimmune diseases come from an overactive immune system. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to be around a child, say between the ages of one and three, who is so tired that you think they were going to fall asleep standing up but nonetheless, they are bouncing off the walls and being really difficult. Have you had an opportunity to be in that situation? Yeah, like wired tired? Wired tired. You got it. Herbalists think that that's what's going on with what's being called autoimmune diseases, that your immune system is wired tired, that your immune system is, in fact, exhausted, and that's why it is kicking up such a fuss. And then if you take drugs that, that perhaps, slow your immune system down, it's like, kind of like hitting the tired kid over the head to make the kid go to sleep. Mm-hmm. I've been so sleeping about what, 12 hours a night for a month now. So what herbalists think is a better option is to encourage the engagement of the parasympathetic nervous system, the nervous system that gives us peace and quiet and calm. And to do that through meditation practices, through qigong, tai chi, yoga. Some people find walking alone or running alone or swimming alone also to be a meditative physical practice. Is there very much of that in your life right now? Mm, Not as much, but I can definitely, I've been working on some breathwork stuff and some yoga, stretching and all those things have led to reductions. And in days when I don't have that or when I feel a stronger energy inside me and I haven't been moving around, it definitely gets worse. So the meditative practices have been helpful to you? Absolutely. Wonderful. The kind of gentle herbs that we might use to help the immune system not be so wired would be things like astragalus root or eleuthero root, formerly known as Siberian ginseng before the ginseng people got all fussy and said we couldn't call it Siberian ginseng anymore. Um, Those are two of my favorites, but I also 
must say that I very much like Shisandra berries. And any of those are perhaps, you know, um, you know, try a little bit of each one and see if there's one that like really speaks to you to work with as your immune system ally. Because often what that wired tired child needs is some comfort and some care, right? Not to be yelled at to go to sleep. So what is it about the the wired aspect of that? How does that... The wired is what's causing the psoriasis. That's why they want to give you drugs to stop the immune system, right? The drugs are against the... They inactivate the immune system. The immune system is overreacting by attacking healthy body tissue, and that's not what it's supposed to do. So can you explain more as to the wired aspect of it? I mean, what... Well, that's... Why wouldn't... Okay, tired. wired means to be overactive, yes? Mm-hmm. The overactive immune system attacks healthy tissue. A regularly active immune system only attacks things that shouldn't be in the body. So a healthy body has an immune system that is neither too calm or too wired. If it's too calm, then infections spread in the body. And if it's too wired, then it attacks the body itself, killing the pancreas in some situations, hurting the gut in Crohn's disease, hurting the skin in psoriasis, hurting the thyroid in Hashimoto's disease. There are a variety of ways that the immune system can act out when it gets wired. That makes total sense. So it's always a temptation to think that there's something wrong with our diet whenever there's a problem. In the 50 years that I've been working, I have rarely found that to be the case. There certainly are individual situations. The one that springs immediately to almost everybody's mind is celiac disease. But that's a disease, and it's not caused by eating gluten. But eating gluten, if you have celiac disease, causes destructive changes. But the disease isn't caused by eating the gluten. You simply have to avoid eating it to avoid damaging yourself. But except for very rare exceptions like that, it is extremely rare that any good, whole food, well-cooked diet is going to be anything less than adequate. Yeah, I have have a tough time justifying food sensitivities when you can't necessarily feel them. And something that I've recently 
been trying to stay away from just because I've noticed the like the most I've ever actually noticed the sensitivity to something was eggs. I just noticed within the three day period, roughly three, four day after consuming them in variety of forms, I have had an increase in the psoriasis. It's not a foolproof study by any means, but I'm just kinda curious uh, you know, how long I could go with that sort of diagnosis or you know I assume that I mean I know that's not everything though. As I'm saying, and I'll say it again, in 50 years I have rarely seen any food sensitivity to have any major effect on anything. You might get a little kickback from it for a little while, but removing any good whole food from your diet is only going to make the problem worse in the long run. The whole idea that there are food sensitivities is a card that is extravagantly overplayed. I have rarely seen it bear any fruit. Again, we're talking about whole foods. If you're saying, gee, I think I'm allergic to hydrogenated fat, I would say you're right. If you say, gee, I seem to be allergic to refined white sugar, I would say you're right. But we're talking about a whole food. We're talking about eggs here. Okay. Well, if you want to have less eggs in your diet, it's not a problem. But what seems to happen, and you'll be the best judge of this, is that because you only get a little help from it, and it, you've now eliminated the food from your diet, now you want a little more help, so you eliminate another food, and then another food, and then another food. And very, very quickly, you are eating a really inadequate diet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'd much prefer to go the route of the stuff you first talked about. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, cooked food, yes? Most most of your food cooked. Mm -hmm. And you're drinking nourishing herbal infusions? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, because that's the mainstay of, of, of what I like to see people doing. As a matter of fact, it, I find that if a quart of nourishing herbal infusion is drunk on a daily basis, then the other dietary stuff kind of settles itself out pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. yeah Don't change your diet, let your diet chew. Start drinking nourishing herbal infusions, and the infusions themselves will not only nourish you, they'll nourish your ability to hear from your body and to really understand what it is your body wants. And somebody said to me, well, if I'm listening to what my body wants, it says it wants a hot fudge vodka cocaine sundae with maraschino cherry. I said, yeah, if you're really listening to your body, you would only do that once. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to make it my mission to to work on that yoga and learn more about Qigong and how to do that stuff. I think that you're on the right track, and I I sense that there's a a really amazing adventure ahead for you. Cool. 
All right. Thanks for calling. All right. Green blessings. Green blessings. We do have one more caller here, but um, it looks like our guest is going to be here in just a minute. Let's see if she's already here. Yes, she is here. So I'm going to go well, ahead and her let, us, let us introduce Dr. Nicole Appellian, herbalist, biologist, anthropologist, survival skills instructor, and mother. Nicole was a challenger on the second and fifth seasons of History Channel's TV series, Alone, where she survived in the wilderness totally solo with little more than her knife and her wits. I'm wondering if the little more was perhaps she had little clothes. She also stars in the new UK documentary miniseries, Surviving the Stone Age, Adventure in the Wild. She is the author of two books, The Lost Book of Herbal Remedies, The Healing Power of Plant Medicine, and a reference guide to surviving nature, outdoor preparation, and remedies. An unexpected diagnosis of multiple sclerosis in 2000 led Nicole to apply her scientific research skills toward her own personal wellness. Today, she focuses on a healthy living strategy, including deep nature connection and gratitude. Through changes in her lifestyle and diet, recognizing profound mind-body linkages, and making and using her own herbal remedies, Nicole went from bedridden and surviving to being fully alive and thriving at home in the Pacific Northwest. She makes her own herbal medicines from local plants as part of her healthy living strategy, especially as related to autoimmune issues, and has her own herbal medicinal apothecary line. Nicole spent years living in nature with the sand bushmen of the Kalahari Desert, one of the last indigenous peoples who still live as hunter-gatherers. Developing strong relationships within the tribe helped Nicole learn many of the remedies and skills she practices and teaches today. And she continues her work with the sand through her nonprofit, The Origins Project. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Hi, Susan. So nice of you to have me. It's nice to be yes. here. Thanks for that lovely welcome. <laughs> uh, did I get that click in the right place? Uh, pretty good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a tough language, yes. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Anyway, I'm really glad to be here. I, I loved your blog, and uh, I think it's a really wonderful, wonderful information that you put out into the world. Well, I don't know if you got to hear any of the previous call, but it was a man with an autoimmune condition who was asking about herbal advice. So what would you oh, have well, told him? Oh, what a perfect him? segue. Perfect segue. Um, I, didn't, you... I didn't get to hear it all. But, um, well, he, you know, said I... that, uh, he said that two years ago he had a boil that had staph in it, and a sequelae uh-huh. to that was that he got psoriasis, and very, very bad psoriasis okay. where it went to, to, to erythmos. And he took a strong antibiotic and got rid of it. And he just had um, a recent um, strep throat infection, and it turned into psoriasis again. Okay. It sounds like he has an autoimmune. I mean, there's that gut ache psoriasis that seems to go along with um, an autoimmune reaction when people have that kind of infection that can happen to some people. 
Um, I do a lot for, for autoimmune. You know, I have multiple sclerosis, and, and while I can't give medical advice because I'm a Ph.D., not an M.D., I definitely um, have a protocol that has worked really well for me and so many other people. Um, you know, a lot of it has to do with, you know, your body's response, you know, an autoimmune response. Obviously, the first thing that you have to do is make sure you don't get sick, right? <laughs> because then your body has an immune response and it makes autoimmune, autoimmune illnesses worse. So I do, I do one thing, actually, which is I have, staying healthy. Actually, I'm going to disagree with you here because if the person's healthy enough, I will encourage them to get sick, to get a really high fever because it resets the immune system. And I've seen a lot of people with severe autoimmune diseases completely get rid of them by getting sick. Hmm. Well, I've had some, you know, other illnesses like that, but I, I, I think, you know, if, you're, if there's other things going on, you have an autoimmune illness, you know, getting, you know, you definitely want, you don't want to get the flu, you don't want to get COVID, you don't want to get, you know, colds all the time. You know, obviously when we're kids, you want to be exposed to as much as possible, right? That's the great time to get all that stuff. But as you get older, you know, I, I really find that doing some simple things like taking elderberry and, and oozing a spray in your throat and first aid salve up your nose when you're traveling, you don't want to travel and get sick. You want to prevent that kind of dreaded, you know, general illnesses. Um, and I find those really help. But the main thing that I use for, for autoimmune illnesses, and in my case, MS specifically, um, are mushroom, medicinal mushrooms. I take reishi mushroom, lion's mane mushroom, and turkey tail mushroom in their dual extracted forms, tincture forms, every day. And I just so strongly believe that the, um, you know, since so many autoimmune illnesses are inflammatory in nature, you know, they all have anti-inflammatory properties, as I'm sure you know. And they're also, you know, reishi is, for example, as an adaptogen. So it helps us deal with so many, even people that don't have an autoimmune disease, it helps with you know, negative effects of stress and increased inflammation and depleted energy levels and so many, so many other things. And also for people that have things that have uh, a nervous system, you know, uh, part to it, it has been shown to have neuroprotective effects. Um, the same with lion's mane. You know, lion's mane is such a great one for anyone that has um, MS or anything that goes, um, goes along with that because it does stimulate things like nerve growth factor and has even shown potential for, you know, regeneration and myelination of nerves, which is kind of incredible, right? Wow! <laughs> it really is amazing. It's amazing what, you know, plants and herbs and, and mushrooms and all of that really have to offer. And, and, you know, it's been what we've had for tens of thousands of years, and it's so wonderful to have, you know, and we are, things going and we are right totally out your on back the same page. Basically what I told him was the drugs they're going to give you are going to, like, slam your immune system to, because right. they think it's overactive, and what I think is it needs nourishment. Right, and you know these, these medicinal mushrooms, they're immunomodulating, so which is very different than, you know, than what, what modern, you know, most Western medicine has to offer for autoimmune illnesses. You know, they're immunomodulators versus stimulators or cutting out your immune system, right, stopping, stopping everything. Stopping um, I really yeah. feel like there's just not much for, for, that Western medicine has to offer people with autoimmune illnesses autoimmune illnesses, and there's so much that herbs have to offer. So that would be, you know, my, my basic answer. I, I, on my webpage, I do, on my, my website, I do have information on what I do daily for MS and everything else that I do. But those are, those are a really nice start. Those mushroom tinctures are really, um, for me, really important. And I really notice if I don't take them on a daily basis. Well, I'm certainly with you. I take um, reishi and turkey's tail and lion's mane. They are 
certainly the you know my three favorites. Uh, partly because yeah. my woods is full of turkey tail and my woods is full of rishi. Yep. They're like the Holy Trinity. <laughs> they are. They're, they really oh, are. I agree. So accessible and so wonderful. And you said that you do a dual extraction. So yeah. does that mean that you boil the mushrooms and then tincture them? Well, I don't boil. I don't want to bring them, you know, to to. You don't want to get a high temperature on them because you don't want to kill the med- very medicine that you're extracting. Um, but I do definitely do double extractions with with mushrooms, especially things like reishi. Um, and so I first will do the alcoholic extraction to be able to get the alcohol soluble mist um, constituents out of it, and then secondarily I will do a uh, a water extraction and then mix those back together. So, you know, they're really, I think you often hear of people drinking things like mushroom tea, um, except, for example, reishi tea, which is, there's nothing against drinking reishi tea. It's fabulous, right? It's a, it's a wonderful thing, and all of those um, anti-cancer and all of the, the beta-glucans, et cetera, all will extract when you're drinking reishi tea. But you're missing all of the things, if you do it that way, you're missing all of the things that are really important for, for things like autoimmune illnesses, which are all of the triterpenes, the triterpenoids, like the ganodermic acid, et cetera. Those won't, won't get out of the reishi. They won't, they're not soluble in water. So you really need to have that alcoholic extraction in order to pull those out of the mushroom to get all, basically to be able to access all the mushroom has to offer. So that's why I really like doing double extractions for these mushrooms because you really get the full spectrum of medicinal compounds. And, you know, why not get the full spectrum of medicinal compounds right. um, when why you're taking get a picture? it all? So exactly. Go out, you harvest your turkey tails, you make a tincture with your turkey tails. After six weeks, you pour that off, you take the turkey tail mushrooms, you put them in some water, but you don't bring it to a boil. Do you heat it or just let it sit in the water? Exactly what I do. Yep, precisely. And then you mix it back together at a a ratio that's high enough. I usually do about a 75 to 25% ratio of alcohol tincture to the water tincture when I mix it back together. So there's enough preservative in there and your alcohol content is high enough that you're able to have... um, a tincture that really has the full spectrum of medicine and also is going to last, you know, what's that going to last you, seven, ten years? And not, you know, it, it, not necessarily that it's going to sit on your shelf that long, but it is nice to know that with that alcohol, you know, with the alcohol in there, that that preservative really will allow that tincture to last for a very long time. Very, very long time. So when you put the mushrooms into the water, do you just let them sit in the water for a while or do you actually I, I, any heat? I, I do like to kick it up with a little bit of heat, not not to the point where it's going to get hot enough to change those chemical compounds, but I, I do like to put it on for, you know, five days on a low heat. I feel that I'm able to extract most of almost all of those water-soluble compounds that way, and the heat the heat definitely does help. So like in a crock pot? Exactly. Crock pot's a perfect way to do it. It's such a crock pot's so useful for doing tinctures at home. I think that's such a it's a wonderful way to do it. You can eat and if you don't have a crock pot, though most people do, but if you don't have a crock pot, you can do it in a mason jar and put that mason jar in a water bath that's on low and in just a pot on your stove. It also works really well. 
and um, my book that um, I, I know you've, you've seen, The Lost Book of Herbal Remedies, we, we do talk about how you can do, make tinctures and salves and all of these things at home with things that you, you know, really already have in your kitchen most likely. So I really like that it's, um, we tried to make it very accessible for people so that they are able to utilize, you know, what's around them and be able to make their own um, tinctures should they want to. I actually haven't seen your book. And oh, I better send you a copy. I will. We should <laughs> books. What fun that would be. I would love to see your book. Wonderful. Let's do that, Susan. Yes. What caused you to write a book? It's, you know, it's almost the antithesis of living outdoors with hunter-gatherers to write a book. I know, right? And it's, it's computer time. And I'm writing another book right now on, on wild food. So um, it's been I, – I love writing. You know, I've always – I've always enjoyed writing, and I really enjoy doing research, um, deep diving into peer-reviewed journals and academic journals. And I'm a I'm a research scientist is is my you know one of my my backgrounds. So I've always really really loved looking at the research that's out there and how can I apply that to what's going on for my own body. And so you know, those deep dives that I like to do, um, it really just made sense to gather all that information I've been working on for so long and put it into an accessible, an accessible book for people. And the other reason is, you know, there's so many great books out there. there and I always I use other herbal books, too. I think it's great to have a, a library of books. I think that we all have different and interesting things to say about herbs. And so I'm, I'm a big, you know, proponent of having multiple herbal books on uh, your fingertips. Um, but I really wanted to do one that was really comprehensive. And so, you know, the book, the herbal remedy book that I, that I wrote is, is so comprehensive. It has, you know, it also includes lichens and mushrooms in addition to trees and, and shrubs and, and herbs and greens, etc. And I really wanted one that was sort of a, you can't, you know, most most things that people are going to be able to find in their everyday life are in that book. And so I just wanted something that was sort of a, a complete guide and a really good reference guide for people who are both beginners and, you know, and seasoned herbalists as well. I've heard from a lot of seasoned, herbal, seasoned herbalists who've used the book and really enjoy the way that it's set up. And, uh, and of course, a, a really good appendix is important, too, to be able to look things up. And we have a medicinal reference guide in the front as well. So I wanted something really user-friendly. Um, and so, yeah, it was, I think it's a nice addition to the, you know, all the herbal books that are out there. And, uh, yeah, it is kind of the antithesis of rolling outside. But even now when I'm sitting at the computer writing my current book, you know, I do make sure I go for – I live in the woods. I live very remotely. So I, I'm still getting outside a lot and going for nice long walks and doing my herb collections. And uh, it's, it's, able, it's all about balance, really, right? So I'm able to balance those, that excitement of, of doing some researching and finding information to be able to teach people about herbs on my blog and in books and also making sure that I spend enough time in nature and outside. So it's just really all about balance for me. The Kalahari is also really the antithesis to the Pacific Northwest, the Pacific Northwest being wet, 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 and gray, 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 and the Kalahari being dry, 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 and sunny, sunny, sunny. Yes. Um, The book I wrote, the Herbal Remedy book, is really, it covers temperate regions around the globe and some there are plants, of course, that are in tropical regions as well. But, yeah, very vastly different environment. Um, 
I've been for the past 12 years working on a book that I don't know if it'll ever get finished on the uh, the Kalahari, the uses of the Kalahari plants that the Kalahari San Bushmen use. And uh, I started that one because the elders there asked me if I would help them write down their information because they were afraid it was going to be lost um, generationally. And so that's, but it's a very, very different type of book. And that's one that um, has been, yeah, I've been working on for, yeah, I believe it's 11, 11 years now, maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's a very, yeah, very different than a Pacific, a Pacific Northwest type book. Um, but the herbal remedy book that I have out is, is more for, you know, it covers North America, it covers Europe, it covers, you know, really uh, across the globe, temperate and temperate regions. But doesn't it's very different from the Kalahari Desert. That's a, a very separate book that, that will hopefully eventually see the light of day. <laughs> and, what, and what drew you to the Kalahari? Uh, well, I first went there in the mid-'90s. In 1995, I joined the Peace Corps after um, my first graduate school, and uh, and I had a wonderful stint. I got you know sent in the Peace Corps to probably the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful places on earth, to the Okavango Delta in Botswana, and I worked um, as a game warden for the wildlife department there. And uh, after that ended, I, I really loved loved the area, so I stayed on and got a, a job as a biologist working for a lion research program, and did that for a number of years. And while I was doing that, I met a number of different, um, really got involved with a, a number of different communities there and local communities. And over time, really developed this relationship with this community of San Bushmen, who are like family to me. And I have actually a nonprofit I work on with them called the Origins Project. And uh, this community really, really did become like my second family, and, and I think of them that way to this day. And I go and see them every year. This year was an exception because we had to cancel due to COVID because we couldn't go because we could wipe them out. So it was definitely not the year to, to bring to be going to the Kalahari to visit my community there. Um, but that's what first drew me there. And, you know, it kept me going back. I, I, you know, I did live there for a number of years. I lived in a tent in the bush in Africa for, for three years. So um, I really had a sense of pla- have a sense of place there, but I really love the way that um, that community looks at at their land like a grocery store and a pharmacy. Right, everything they need is at their fingertips and out out their proverbial door. And when I moved back to the states, you know, I really had this sense of place in Africa. This is in year ninety nine, um, and I, I really had to sit down and really sort of relearn the natural world here in the Pacific Northwest to get move my sense of place from the from the Kalahari Desert to the Pacific Northwest. And that that's one thing that really allowed me to expand my knowledge on wild foods and, and medicinal plants and um, was really changing my sense of place and learning all around, you know, looking at my, my environment here where I live in, in the Northwest, um, looking at my environment as my pharmacy and my grocery store. And then mm. having multiple sclerosis was also the thing that really led me originally to do a deep dive into, you know, what is out there herbal, herbally in order mm-hmm. to help with an autoimmune condition that, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't doing well with. When I got diagnosed, I went downhill very quickly and became bedbound pretty quickly and uh, had a few years of really just being, you know, um, really down with MS. And since then, I've, I've been, you know, the last 20 years, I've been able to really 
thrive, manage MS well, and, you know, no new brain lesions in 20 years. So thanks to, <laughs> thanks to uh, all of the things I do on a daily basis, but also really, really thank you to the, the medicinal plants and herbs that are out there. So I'm, I'm very grateful. Thank you. Yeah. Such gratitude. And, and I read that gratitude is a very important part of your practice. I'm, I'm recalling one of my f- very early students who decided she was going to do a four-day solo trip in the mountains, mm-hmm. and, you know, as you say, you know, with her wits and, and a, a tool. I think she took a knife, and she was wearing clothing and shoes. And mm-hmm. she decided, you know, to go up in the mountains where she discovered that um, really it would have been far better for her to bring a snare. Mm-hmm. Yes. Interesting. Because there was not... Very much plant material to eat, truth to tell. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, every every environment's different. You know, on the on the show, well, I didn't, of course, the show alone, where I, you know, we were out we're out for very long periods of time there, um, and we don't have a film crew, so we really are solo. You're filming yourself. It's all self-filmed, and they drop you by helicopter and they take off, and <laughs> we are closed. We do have shoes. Yes, we do. We are allowed to bring a few, a few items. Um, but really, it's it's just your own wits and figuring out the land landscape around you. But I gotta say, you know, even with hunting and fishing and you know snaring, et cetera, the thing that really I think made a big difference for me was knowing the plants. And because not only did I get variation in my diet, but also, you know, when times were tough, there's always, if you know the plants, there's always plants or roots to dig or things like that. There's always something to put in your mouth that's good for you to get your, and also keep your vitamin levels up. And the other thing is, you know, for example, I cut my, my knuckle off on day 42 when I was, day 42 or 43, I can't remember which, I was skinning a salmon that I'd caught, and I had just one very large survival knife that I brought with me, and I completely cut my knuckle off on, the, on my left hand. And... You know, luckily, earlier in the season, I'd collected yarrow and had dried it, and it was in my shelter that I'd built. And, you know, if it wasn't for I grabbed usnea and I grabbed that yarrow, the yarrow was able to stop the bleeding really fast, and then I just did yarrow baths for the next two days on my finger. Um, the next two days, it rained so hard, and there were so much, so many storms, I actually couldn't leave my shelter because the trees were falling on around me, and it wasn't safe. So I just sat in my shelter and did yarrow and oozing a bath on my on my finger, and I got to tell you, it healed up, and and I don't even have a scar. So it's pretty incredible. I think that the the plants are really one of the things that made such a big difference for me on the show alone, just to be able. And I've noticed that with other people who really know the plants, that um, that knowledge has has really helped them through. And the mushrooms. And gratitude, yes. And, gra- <laughs> and the mushrooms too, yeah. And Madame Yero says she she runs a school of self defense, and that's uh-huh. for sure. <laughs> Once you become allied with Yero, mm, it's a love affair for life, without a doubt. So that was on day forty three. How many days were you there? Uh, Fifty seven. So almost two months. Fifty seven. Yes, it was fun. It was a wonderful time. I got to say, it was. Uh, I enjoyed the the quiet, the being able to live in the present moment. The really only things you're thinking of are, you know, do I have enough food? Do I have water? Is my shelter warm enough? And, you know, do I have enough firewood? <laughs> and really that's that's all you need to worry about. And it was very freeing to only have that to think about um, and to just be in the present moment. 
And shockingly, I didn't feel lonely. You know, I knew I had my family to go home to later. Um, but I really felt at home in the place and had such a connection with the bears that were there, especially a family, there were a family of bears there I had a really big connection with, and the birds that were there, the pair of Stellar's jays that were at my site and the pair of kingfishers who lived there and the eagle who would swoop in and always sit in the southern-facing tree on a daily basis. It was like clockwork. And you really form these these connections and with those connections, I, I never really felt lonely on, or alone on alone, <laughs> even though I, in reality, was. So. I often say that it only takes a couple of hours of being alone in nature for you to discover that you are Mother Nature's favorite child. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. You know, and and I, then you're I, carried it, by that. You're, you're the favorite yeah. child. Mm-hmm. And, if you're and you open enter to this it, you're incredible by that. of grace yeah. nature where you know that you're cared mm-hmm. for. Yes. Yeah, you've yeah, got to make sure that you have enough firewood and that you've, mm-hmm. you know, harvested your hero. All right. Yes, you do have to, you know, it's not just going to fall on your head from heaven. You have to make some honest efforts. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> yes, but, you know, it's interesting that people that do so well out there are generally the people, not always, but generally the people who, you know, aren't looking to combat nature, right? They're looking to live live with it. And it's more like wilderness living instead of survival, right? We always hear about survival. And, uh, you know, I teach survival skills. But really, you know, I like to call it wilderness living skills. Like how do you live with nature in a really good way where you're giving and, and nature's giving back and it's this relationship that you have. And if you're looking at it that way, those are the people that tend to do the best out there, the people who really go out with the mindset of gratitude and the mindset of um of living with nature instead of, you know, as, as it's something to, you know, fight against. When I um, talked about you at the very beginning of the show, I said that you had a uh, reference guide to surviving nature, and I was wondering if that was a typo. Um, <clears throat> because, of course, one doesn't survive nature. One asks nature to help you survive, which is what you've just said. Yes. Exactly. It really is about that, you know. Um, it's all about about looking to nature and learning from nature and, you know, what, what she has to offer you, and there's there's so much. And, of course, giving back, too, you know. I, um, I always try and teach things, like, you know, when you're harvesting, because, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, like there's protected lands, right? But really the reality is is that we've always – humans have lived with nature for a very long time, and so, you know, when I'm collecting cottonwood buds, for example, you know, I am breaking pieces, you know, branches of cottonwood and putting them in the ground because they'll re, you know, because as you know, like willow, they'll re-root. So I'm actually taking from the trees, but I'm actually planting more trees as I'm doing it. So I'm actually expanding cottonwoods even though I'm harvesting. And I think if, you know, people are always have that mindset of when they're in nature, when they're taking something, they, you know, give back more than you're taking. Um, that relationship that nature has with humans is actually a really positive one versus, you know, just when people talk sometimes about harvesting and over-harvesting of things. Um, there are ways to harvest in a really not just ethical way, but also a way where you're really forming a relationship with that plant and really giving back. So I'm always a big proponent a proponent of that as well. I think that's so important. I really hear you. Thank you so much. I think that is so 
important. Yeah. Thanks, I'm, Susan. I, do I, I don't know yeah. what <laughs> WRT. What are you working on now, WRT plants? Oh, with respect to maybe? <laughs> Sorry, um, I don't do much of that messaging, so I don't know all of the codes. But my granddaughter and I, in honor of all those codes, now instead of saying good night, grandmother, good night, granddaughter, we just say G and G. Oh, nice. <laughs> wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. For me, um, are you asking me what I'm working on with respect well, to plants yes, now? Yes, now with respect to plants. Well, I'm working. Um, uh, of course, I'm always working on my apothecary. You know, I, I have an apothecary in my on my website and maybe tinctures and salves for. Um, and I'm always coming up with you know new blends and and again researching to find to figure out you know what what new things I want to incorporate into the apothecary and what people's needs are. Um, so taking that into account, and I'm also always outside. I'm always, I have gardens here, and I'm always uh, working in my gardens and and wandering through the forest. And um, I do a lot. I do a lot of harvesting, of course, and uh, again always with giving back. But my, my main thing, I'm, one of the main things I'm doing right now is I am working on a, a new wild food, foods book with recipes included, and I'm really excited about that. Um, it's, been, it's been really fun to, again, it's, there's so many great wild foods books out there, and I wanted to do, similar to the Lost Book of Herbal Remedies, I really wanted one that had a lot, that really was a comprehensive reference guide. So I'm really spend, I'm spending a lot of time working on that right now. Um, and I just I'm having so much fun with it. So <laughs> that's oh, what I'm working on with respect fun. to plants you know, right now. I'm, I'm yeah. realizing that um, I play solitaire, and an ad comes on for your book. Is that you? Oh yeah, that would be it. Yep, <laughs> that would be me. I'm just like putting the putting the wait 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 wait. I know that I've seen this ad. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, oh. wonderful. We'll, need we'll to have to make sure to get a copy of that book to you, books. Susan. And yes, let's, let's see, do that. Um, just email whoever helped set up the interview for you, yeah? Perfect. You have that That'd e- be great. email address who set up this interview for you? Yes, I do have it. And I'll and look and I'll make sure to email right, back and we, your can, address uh, and then we can exchange. And we can Perfect. exchange books. What fun, what fun. We have come to the end of the show. I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, and hopefully someday we will get to sit over a cup of tea and look out into the beautiful Pacific Northwest. Um, I'm sure that you live on some marvelous island there. I'm imagining you in the San Juans. Who knows? And uh, we get to talk at length. Meanwhile, I have one last question for you. What do you want to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's listening to you? Oh, boy. Hope. I think hope. You know, hope is the first step in healing. And for anyone who's, you know, dealing with any sort of illness or autoimmune illness or anything that's going on or or just grief or anxiety with today's what's going on in the world today, I'd just like to leave people that there's with the, the feeling that there is always hope. And, you know, if you're inside, look outside and look at the world around you, and, and that little bit of looking at nature will give you some hope. And uh, hopefully, if you're on a healing journey, it will help you take that first step. That's what I'd like to leave everyone with tonight. Hope. Absolutely. And I find that hope not only helps me take the first step, but that 
more importantly, it helps me take the next step when my healing journey is not always a linear progression upwards, but I have a setback. Yes. Beautiful. And then I rekindle my hope and I rekindle my gratitude mm-hmm. for how far I've come, even though there's further to go. Well said. We have been talking with Nicole Appelian. That's N-I-C-O-L-E-A-P-E-L-I-A-N. And you can find her at the usual places, www.nicoleappelian.com, Facebook, um, all of those things. Is there any other special place that you want people to contact you through? No, those are great. That My website has all the links to all of my yes, social media and, I, and, and Instagram and all of that. So, And I do have a blog on my website that um, I think is a great read. And you can sign up for my newsletter. It's just once or twice a week of some interesting blogs that I write. If anyone's interested, they can look on my website. Thank you so much. Nicole, I believe that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. I see that the woman's ability to spin fiber is incredibly important to all of our survival. And I want us to spin this fiber, this thread back and to weave it into a healing cloak. And I want to appreciate you for the strong indigenous fibers and the strong modern fibers that you are adding to this cloak. I know that you agree with me that herbal medicine is people's medicine. And thank you. And thank you, Rebecca. And thank you, Justine, for helping me restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Green blessings, everybody. And good night. Good night, everyone.